sing a little something for me. Well, honey, you told me last night before you hit the road, you said, I got tired, I ain't gonna even wanna go. Oh, baby. You don't have to go. I'm gonna pack up now and dive and down the road I go. Well, honey, you told me last night before you hit the road to town. I got tired and you gonna wanna go. Oh, baby. Don't say that. No more. I'm gonna pack up now, darling. Down the road I go. We got back. was Lurie Bell on vocals and guitar and myself, Matthew Scholar, on harp. We were just fooling around a little bit doing um, a sound check just before our conversation, which is coming right up. Hello, blues lovers, blues artists, blues people, blues singers, blues pundits, blues stealers, and blues healers. Welcome to Blues and World Report. I am your host, Matthew Scholar, and it's uh, great to be back in the saddle here in my little studio on the northwest side of Chicago, uh, in my 100-year-old Chicago brick bungalow. Gotta put a new roof on it. I'm gonna figure out how to deal with that. Um, I say back in the saddle because due to personnel issues and personal issues uh, during a family crisis in, involving a family member with Alzheimer's disease. I, I've been forced to put the podcast on hold for a couple of months, the joys of not having a lot of resources. But I am back, and I do not intend to go anywhere. All I can say at this moment is that Alzheimer's disease is a motherfucker. So please, let's all do what we can to find a cure. A good place to start is the Alzheimer's Association. Go to www.alz.org. This has been a particularly tragic week for the blues community in Chicago. Three of our most esteemed elders passed away in the short span of a week. Two of them were siblings. On January 29th, the legendary blues drummer Sam Lay passed on. Then two days later, Jimmy Johnson passed away at 93 years old. And then on February the 6th, Jimmy's younger brother, famed blues and soul singer, songwriter, guitarist, and harmonica player, Sil Johnson, whose hits include Different Strokes, Is It Because I'm Black, and Take Me to the River, passed as well. Uh, there's so much to say about these three artists that I will uh, do a separate uh, a special edition of Blues and World Report in the next few days, devoted to the rich history of these artists. But on today's episode of Blues and World Report, I will be talking to one of the greatest bluesmen of his and my generation, Mr. Lurie Bell. Hailed as a wunderkind at a very early age, Lurie, the son of harmonica legend Carrie Bell, ended up on the road with Coco Taylor at the tender age of 16 years old. You can hear Lurie and I piece together the chronology of his dramatic life and blues journey. In this two-part episode, we'll start with him moving from Chicago to down south, living with his grandparents and playing church music, to his heart-wrenching battles with mental illness, homelessness, and the loss of family, and ultimately his inveterate capacity to survive and to thrive. We also will do a little bit more jamming together, so stay tuned. The following interview was recorded on August 31st, 2021. This is a 100% listener-supported show, and your donations will make it possible for me to continue interviewing wonderful artists. So please consider donating at 
paypal.me slash Chicago wind. That's paypal.me forward slash Chicago W I N D. Welcome. 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 Welcome to Blues and World Report. Blues, 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 and World Report. I'll be interviewing all different kinds of artists whose work has been inspired and influenced by blues music. I hear so much talk about keeping the blues alive. Keeping the blues alive? No. no. I'm thinking the blues keeps us alive. Just be careful how you and of course, we're going to get down to the real nitty-gritty with the greatest blues artists on the planet. What's up, Larry Bell? How you doing, Matt? I'm good, <laughs> I'm good man. That's good. You got That's it. good. You got it. How you been these days? Oh, man, I've been hanging in there as best as I know how, as best as God will allow me to possibly can, man. I've been trying to hang in there the best way I can. I put one foot in front of the other. Keep on stepping. Look forward to a new day. I see the sunrise. I get up and I say, God bless uh, America because <laughs> I'm alive, you know. Yeah. I heard that. So how have you been getting through the global shit show that we have been witnessing the last... The pandemic virus yeah. 19? Yeah. Well, I've been catching the blues every time I catch... You know, uh, uh, the news channel, you know, I, I, I try my best to keep up with it. It's been down. You know, I, I look at it and I, and I feel like, you know, whoa, what in the world is going on with the world? Mm-hmm. But I try to I try my best to, to, to keep my cool and calm down and, and, and look at it with a positive attitude, a level, you know, and I say, you know, that's the Lord, you know, doing his works. You know, there's nothing we can do about that. You know, mm-hmm. if we could, the world wouldn't be in that shape. Yeah, so that whole lockdown period of time was pretty intense. Um, what? Did, how did you cope? What did you do? Well, what I did, I, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, made, I made some phone calls, man. You know, I talked to my folks, you know. Mm-hmm. I talked to, you know, uh, people in the music business, you know. That uh, encouraged me and uh, gave me a positive outlook on it. Mm-hmm. You know, people mm-hmm. like Amberly, for instance. You know, Amberly Stokes. Yeah, yeah. She, she. That's she, your your manager. My manager now. Right. You know, she does a lot for me. You know, she makes sure you know that my health is up to par. You know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know because I don't know people in the blues world know that. My health went down for a while. Yeah, you know, but it's it's okay now, and she made sure of that. You know, which I I appreciate that. And I if it if it's not, you know, uh, uh, too much, I like to say, you know, uh, I like to just say thank you, Emily. You know, because she done a lot for me when it comes well, down. I'm a witness, and um, she really, really did come in at a very crucial and bad moment in your life. It's pretty complicated to keep all of your medications and all of the different um, health issues that you have, um, you know, keep that all together. Yeah. And um, yeah. it takes a team. Yeah. And she is the team leader. Right, and right, right. She did an amazing job. So, well, I tell you the truth, I wouldn't know what I would do without her. With, with being with this pandemic virus out, man, you know, you know, if I wasn't where I'm at, you know, I wouldn't be vaccinated, you know, and and, mm-hmm. and you know, I I would I would catch hell trying to maintain my. You know, health. Yeah, she puts you in a wonderful living situation. And this place where I'm at now. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's, it's together. Yeah. So you have all the assistance that you need, and you've got a really nice environment to to live in and and to lock down in when when that happens. And um, so, did you did you do a lot of playing during the the pandemic? Every day, every, every day. morning, I see the sunrise before I. Turn on my television set. I pick up my axe, tune it up. I turn on the news. Okay. You know, I keep it on. I, I, a lot of times I watch WGN Channel 9 News. Yeah. You know, one of the reasons why I watched this station because I was, you know, 
uh, 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 on the uh, Bozo show, you know, and I was kind of proud of that because I watched the Bozo show since I was like that, man. So when you were a kid, WGN was around and w the Bozo show was on there? Yeah. Uh -huh. And, and you went on there? I never thought I would be on the Bozo show for one. So what, what was that like? How old were you? I must have been 24, 25 years old. Something oh, like really? That. So yeah. you were an adult? Yeah. And I did was, you play? Yeah. Me oh. and Billy Branch. You and Billy Branch went on to the Bozo show on WGN just, just, and played? Just him and I. Wow. I never heard about that. You never heard that? Well, I never heard that you had done that with I, Billy. Yeah, I've done that with Billy. Mm -hmm. And the thing about that, you know, and I, and I, you know, I said, you know, something inside of me said, keep it on Channel 9, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you five. watch a lot of news. Yeah. 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 The first thing you would do in the morning, though, is to play your guitar. Well, and, and sing. Once, 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 you know, I, you know, freshen up, you know, uh -huh. and wash my hands and face, you know, and freshen up, you know, and when I come out my bathroom, you know, I usually flip the television on, you know, uh -huh. and I, you know, I guess you know, and you know, I watch the news to see what's happening, you know, it ain't all good sometimes. Sometimes it's bad news, you know, but I, I you know, I, I want to find out what's going on. <laughs> but when it gets it. too intense, you've always got your guitar. When they when they when they get to get the <laughs> depression, you know my guitar's sitting there. You know right. my amplifiers. You know, and I pick up my. Man, guitar. I got to take breaks from the news. I'm kind of a news junkie too, and yeah. uh, but it it becomes emotionally and psychically it becomes so difficult to watch that day in and day out that sometimes I have to take a break. Yeah. So let's start from the beginning, man. You were born in Chicago, right? I was born at 145 South Albany, mm. which is on the west side of Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, is that county? Pardon me? Cook County. Cook County Hospital. Yes, sir. Yeah. I was born at Cook County Hospital. Okay. But my address that, that my parents were living at and, and, and my folks was address was 145 South Albany. That's... Around, uh, you know, I, I guess uh, not too far from uh, Fifth Avenue, Kizzy, mm -hmm. Fifth Avenue, around that area. Right. Your father was um, a musician, um, legendary blues harmonica master of Carrie Bell. Mm -hmm. Going back to the beginning, what was your first instrument? Guitar. 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 Yeah. Okay. And so what? when did you know you wanted to start playing music? Well... I was, my mom, you know, uh, uh, told me, you know, when I was a shawty, very young, she said, you know, go to your father's house and visit him. When I got there, they was playing the blues. He had bands in his basement. Mm -hmm. the, his band right. was in the basement playing. I said, wow. And the real mom told me to go here. The thing about that whole situation, it was a guitar when nobody playing it, it was laying on the floor, you know. My dad, you know, they were rehearsing, right? You know, and uh, you know, I said to myself, you know, I'm gonna pick this guitar up and see can I play it, you know, while the band rehearsing, and I and and I learned how to uh, play a twelve bar blues on it, man. You know, and, and did somebody sit down and show you how to? Ain't do Ain't nobody that? showed me shit. I just <laughs> <laughs> next thing I know, you're just watching the guitar player. Yeah, and... I guess you know because you know watching my dad. You know some, you no, know, I don't know. Some come over me and said, you know, you know, you 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 you're a blues musician, man. You just don't know it yet. And once I got to playing that guitar. I figured it out. I said, I am a blues man. I didn't wow. even. And, and next thing I know, I'm playing a 12-bar blues. I'm playing Jimmy Reed. Okay. You know? And I was young. I was very young. And I, so so who who was the guitar player you were listening to at that time? Roy Johnson was my dad's lead guitar player. I don't know if you're familiar with him. No, I'm not. I mean, I've heard you talk about him over the years. Roy Johnson, man. He was a great guitar player. Okay. Uh, you know, kind of light-skinned guy, cat. Uh-huh. You know, real nice dude, but he played uh, 
lead guitar. I think, to my recognition, I think Eddie Taylor was around there too on that set. Mm-hmm. Way back, way back when I was very young. And so you were watching him do the lump? Watching both the guitar players, you know, for a while. And then it was a Fender Strat laying down there on the floor. I guess it was one of the guitar players' guitar, and I just picked it up. So do you remember how you played the lump back then? Play Jimmy Reed style like this. I learned that. Before I know it, I was playing uh, <laughs> wow. blues guitar, man. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the basis of Chicago blues, right? Yeah. I, mean. I learned the 24-bar blues shuffle, and then I began to work with it, you know, and I, and I, and I learned how to pick and squeeze and things like that with it. But that's the first thing I learned when I first started playing guitar was that lump to lump, Jimmy Reed shuffle. Wow. Did your dad and the other musicians at some point uh, sit down with you at all and show no. you, but nobody ever showed you anything. No, you just did it all by ear. I and did by it on my own. And I did it on my own. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, how did that affect your childhood? Well, the thing about that, you know, it it kept me out of being in the wrong crowd of folks, mm. being in the wrong neighborhood, being hanging around with the wrong crowd of people because it took me to a different level where I would, you know learn about you know music and so um you spent a lot of time on the guitar obviously um from how um accomplished you are you must put a lot of hours in as a child well once i learned how to play a 12-bar blues that's all i did that's all you did that's all i did you didn't go out and play with the other i didn't go out and hang around too much with Uh with other people's once I, once I learned how to play a 12-bar blues shuffle, for some reason I kept playing that guitar, and the next thing I know, I was doing it for a living. <laughs> doing it for a living. Okay, yeah. so so you're about five years old when this is going on, five or six years Something old. like that, Matthew. Yeah. yeah. And then you were in Chicago, and then at about six or seven years old... You seven made, or eight years old. Seven my, or eight years my old. My parents. Okay. Uh, I think... It was friends of my dad, my auntie. She was one of my aunties, you know, that uh, 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 Dorothy Archie and Jerry, her husband, had a Buick automobile, and they came up on Albany Street and picked me up and carried me down south to my father's hometown, which is uh, Macon, Mississippi. Okay. I went down there and stayed with my dad's folks, uh, which was uh, my Uncle Polk. Okay. And Ain't Red was the people who took care of me down there. Okay, and that was on your your dad's side? That was on my father's side. Right. I stayed down there, went to school down there. I had to catch, a, a you know, the yellow buses. Mm-hmm. I, I used to catch that. That kind of bus, you know, walk to the, you know, end of the road. It was a dirt road, and I would walk down there where the mailbox was. I, I never will forget it was the address was Route One Box Six, Macon, Mississippi. I would catch wow. that bus right there and go to school, you know. Okay. So I stayed down there for about uh, must have been, to my recognition, I think it was about four or five years. And then my oldest brother, Kerry Bell Jr., he played bass guitar. Right. Him and, and, and some more people come up from Chicago, pick me up uh, in Macon, Mississippi, and then we went to my mom's hometown, which is Lisman, Alabama. Wow. Mm-hmm. From there on, you know. But you know, I, I, I was one. I was, you know, I, I felt pretty good about being in Macon, Mississippi. Really, I didn't want to leave. <laughs> but you know, being my oldest brother said it would be cool if we visit my mom's hometown. I said okay. And once I got down there, I went to school down there, and I started attending church. Okay, a lot. You know, and I had my guitar. You know, so they were church. 
church going folks, folks. Mm-hmm. the people who I live with mm-hmm. down in Lisbon. Yeah, and that was on your mom, your mom's side, my mother's side. So yes. it was it was her dad. Yeah, yeah. And what did he do? He 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 hauled pup wood. Okay. I don't know if you you know hauling logs, you know sure. going, you know cutting. He had a chainsaw. Mm-hmm. He would go in the woods and and he had a truck and he would load logs on on the truck, you know. And all this time you're playing guitar. And all this time, well, my my dad mailed me a guitar to the mail. Oh wow! You know, and well, uh, do you remember what kind of guitar it was? It was like a Fender Strat. It wasn't a real strat, but right. it was something like that. A copy, yeah. Yeah. And I started, you know, working uh, uh, for the church, and I would have guitar. I would have my axe, my guitar, and I would play with these certain particular choirs and quartets, and they would raise up a collection for me, you know, and give me, and, and that's how I got paid. Oh, wow. For playing in the church. So that inspired me. I said, damn, I'm, I'm making money. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, and, you know, even, I mean, you know, I was playing gospel music, you know, you know like chords, you know, uh, ice cream changes, you know. Okay. Not real blues, but just sanctified music, you know, chords and what have you, you know. And I learned, to, and, and I learned a lot about what spiritual music was, man. Gospel mm-hmm. music and, mm-hmm. and everything, and uh, uh, you know, I did that. You know, you know. Every- so, what kind of which gospel tunes did you learn when you were a kid? Uh stuff like uh, I don't know, spirituals like um, the Lord is blessing me right now. Like that, you know. Beautiful, wow. I mean, I mean, it was something on that structure, but right. I did a lot of, you know, uh, different songs, you know, uh, spiritual songs, you know, that I would uh, pick up from the choirs that attended. And so, so how old were you at that point? Well, when I moved to my mom's home, oh man, I had to be twelve, maybe something like that, eleven or twelve. Yeah. And and um, now he, your granddad, he he worked in the woods and he pulled pulp wood out, but he also was a church uh, elder, right? He, he was the deacon. He was the deacon he of the church. He was the deacon of our church that I attended in Lisbon. Okay, and and, and the no, church. Ahead. The thing about the church, it was uh, about two minutes from where we lived at. And I would walk to the church, mm-hmm. and I would, you know, hang out with some of the guys in the neighborhood and talk jive and stuff like that. But I still went to church. That was, I, I, you know, I played my guitar in church, so I didn't let those guys, you know, uh, uh, disrupt me right. from going to church. You know? Okay. And, uh, yeah, and so you came from Chicago as a blues player. Um, <laughs> And, and you ended up... Um, and I ended up playing the church. Playing exactly, church. And, exactly. And what what was your granddad's opinion of the blues? Well, uh, I knew, you know, in, in my uh, 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 church that I attended, 
they didn't allow you mm. to play the blues in church because they said a lot of people down there in Alabama said that uh, if you play blues, you playing the devil's music. Mm -hmm. so, and I, I, you know, deep down in my heart, you know, I knew, I knew, you know, that that what, you know, they were saying that to keep me in church, but. I knew all the time that, uh, you know, ain't nothing wrong with it long as you believe in the Lord in your heart. Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to make a career out of yourself and make a living out of yourself, and I said to myself, um, you know, because my dad was a blues player. Of course. You know. Yeah. I said to myself, well, I ain't going to stop playing the blues. My father's a blues man. Mm -hmm. what, the, what the hell am I? <laughs> mm -hmm. But, you know. And yes. A lot of those blues tunes, uh, a lot of the blues um, rhythms and bass lines work really well with gospel music. And um, we we did the that record, The Devil Ain't Got No Music, um, which uh, is really a, an amazing record that that uh, that you accomplished. That's one of the best records that I ever done. Yeah, to me. Yeah, now, I don't, I don't know how to, how to have my fans, uh, the blues world, look at it, mm -hmm. but I'm just saying for me. Yeah, well, it's it's a real departure from your electric guitar. You you used acoustic guitar, um, just for so the audience knows. Um, I I was privileged and honored to produce that record and to come up with you produced um, it yeah, exactly. And I, and I wrote yeah. the song "The Devil Ain't Got No Music," and um, I did that um, inspired by your story. Um, and also inspired by something I heard Mavis Staples say during an interview. Um, somebody interviewed her. I think it was David Whitus. Um, I know him. Who, I know yeah. him. He asked her if she got a lot of flack from people when they started playing secular music and, you know, kind of R&B and soul um, because, you know, people thought that that was the devil's music, people, church people. Mm-hmm. And she said, baby, the devil ain't got no music. <laughs> and so, so when I heard that, I said, that sounds like a song. That would be a hell of a tune. Yeah. So I wrote it, and the way you interpreted it, it, it sounded, um, I mean, you you know, honestly, you could sing the phone book, my brother. Yeah. But um, it, well, the, the way thing, you interpreted it was. The thing about that tune, I looked at the lyrics, you know, when, when you, you gave me a a uh, couple of pages of that song. And mm -hmm. I looked at the lyrics. And I said, damn, that's a bad-ass song. Wow. And then once I got into it, yeah, I started realizing that. And, and, and sometimes, damn, the devil sure ain't got no music. <laughs> the devil's got the fire. The devil's got the greed. The devil makes you think he's got everything you need. The devil's got the horns. The devil's got the tail. The devil's got a smile and the keys to the jail. But the devil ain't got no music. The devil dried up the well. Got no music. As wise home is hell. A dope can be a table, a wood stick for a crutch, still water for a mirror, in a bar room for a church. A pen can be a scaffold, a barrel can be a wheel. But Satan has no song. It's one thing he just can't steal You see, the devil ain't got no music The devil dried up the well No, the devil ain't got no music As wise home is hell And, and I started getting into it, you know, I dug it, you know. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, uh, some inside of me said, you're a lucky guy because you know 
Matthew and Matthew wrote that song. Yeah, you know, well, I was a lucky guy to have somebody of your um, uh, talent and amazing spirit interpret it and bring life to it. And uh, I think the year that we put it out, it was nominated for Blue Song of the Year and uh, at the uh, Blues Awards. At the Awards. But um, in, you know, producing that and listening to you, we we worked on that for at least two, two and a half years before we went in the studio. Before we went in the studio, yeah. And um, Mm -hmm. uh, you were playing, like, for instance, the tune Trouble In My Way. Which I learned that tune in one of the uh, the church that I went to. I, I remember the church was was uh, the faith nominate nomination was the Apostolic Overcoming Holiness Church of wow. God. That was the nomination of the church, and I got that song from in, that church in Alabama. In Alabama. Okay, so that was one of the tunes that you were doing when yes, you were sir. a kid. Yeah. yeah, yeah, man. So trouble in my way. Why don't you give the people a little taste of that? Okay. All right. All right. Two, three. Trouble in my way. I had to cry sometimes. I got so much trouble. I had to cry sometimes. I wake at night. That's all right, that's all right. And I know that Jesus, Jesus, he will fix it. He'll fix it after a while, after a while. Trouble in my way, trouble in my way. I had to moan sometimes, I had to moan sometimes. I got so much trouble, trouble in my way. I had to moan sometime, I had to moan sometime. I lay awake at night, I lay awake at night. But you know that's alright, that's alright. Cause I know that Jesus, Jesus, He will fix it. He'll fix it after a while. That sounds like the blues on the guitar to me, you know. I mean, obviously, 
there's the changes are a little bit different and um and the um the the, the lyrics but but but, know, but but the sanctified the feeling the soulful feeling that you get you know you can hear blues in it <clears throat> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i yeah. mean unadulterated yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they're they're really siblings yeah. gospel and blues right well you know they're close related so you're down south you're playing uh, this deep sanctified uh, gospel music, and and again, there's a whole history of great blues people who sang gospel. I mean, if you you can listen to Sunhouse, you can listen to Charlie Patton, um, you know, uh, the great Reverend Gary Davis, and you covered one of his tunes, um, "Death Don't Have No Mercy in This Land." Mm-hmm. That's a slow blues, mm-hmm. you know. But, it is, yeah, yes. Reverend Reverend Gary Davis. It's a slow blues on uh, 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 on the traditional blues. Level, you know, what it is. And, and why do you think that your parents sent you down to um, down south? I think they sent me down south, uh, Matthew, to get to get away from all the disturbance in the community, right? That we lived at, you know, right. because there was a lot of things that, especially on the west side, right, that wasn't too cool, man, right. So it's interesting. There, you know, there they were part of the great migration of um, all these black folks moving from the south to the north, trying to get away from, you know, bad situation in the Jim Crow South. Yeah, and then they come up and they they end up in these these situations that are really, you know, in some ways just as bad, if not worse, in terms of economics and in terms of violence and um, crime and. This is not a unique story that you were, you know, that that the second generation is sent back down south to actually be in an environment that is healthier than than what you found in the um, west side of Chicago and 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 some neighbors in the, in the south well, side. I think my my mom and my dad wanted me to go down south. They thought I would love like it, mm-hmm. which I did. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, you know, I mean to be to be down south where my mom and my dad were born at. Mm-hmm. That was a blessing for me, yeah. an honor to to be in my dad's hometown, to be in my mother's hometown. Right, you know, that's where your roots were. You know, yeah. and you know the, the thing about that, the people down there, you know, they they taught me how to. Acknowledge and uh, uh, your neighbor. How to say yes, sir, and no, sir. How to go in church, you know, and and be a church member and attend the Sunday school meetings and the revival meetings and to go to church and and uh, 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 I would play guitar and I was one of the artists in church. That was that that made me feel like I was a special kind of a cat. Yeah, it gave you your first performance experience. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's a big performance, being in front of uh, a whole church full of people. And they, and the thing about that, after I got to playing on Sundays uh, nights and in, in Wednesday nights, I would get paid for it because they had, they had a collection basket mm-hmm. that they would give to me, just the musicians, you know. They, right. You know, the preacher would say, this is for you, Lurie. You know, so so not only did you get performance time, you got to play your instrument, discover the stage, you know, but you also learned that you'd get compensated for it monetarily and you would, you know, make that money. And that sort of created the foundation of what your career was going to be. Yeah. 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 You were about 12, 13 years old at that time when you were in Lisbon. Yeah. Um, So you were born in 58. So we're talking about like around 1970. Something like that. Yeah, and there was yeah. still quite a bit of demonstrating going on about civil rights. And, there was a lot of that going on down there. And so you did you experience some of that while you're down oh, there? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Can, I mean I mean, you know, uh in the churches they would talk about civil rights and mm-hmm. what have you, you know. But, you know, I really didn't get involved with it that much because mm-hmm. I kept my eye on my guitar, and I kept my eye on the minister, and I kept my eye on what I was doing in church. You were very focused. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I I saw, you know, a riot that uh, you know, kind of touched me a little bit because uh, I saw a lady uh, get hit by a car and and uh, you know that kind of disturbed me a little bit. Okay, so you were you were at a demonstration. Yeah. Yeah. They had a demonstration in the in the town that I went to school at. Okay, what what town was that? Butler, Butler, Alabama. And there was a demonstration of black folks. Yeah, yeah, they were they they were they were back then. You know, civil rights was going on a lot. Right. So yeah. what happened? What did you see? A lady got run over by a car. Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody was, you know, trying to turn this car over for doing it. You know how riots is they. Uh-huh. Get in the middle of the street and try to turn the car over and yeah. stop the car. And so, who was in the car? Some white guy. I don't know, Matthew. But he, you know, you remember that he was white. Yeah. And yeah. he and he ran her over. Yeah. And, and it was a hit and run. Yeah. And they, hit and run. Yeah. yeah and that's what it was. A hit yeah. and run. Yeah. Yeah. You're down in Lisman, um, and you're playing in the church. You're in junior high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and at a certain point, you go back to Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. My father drove from Illinois, Chicago, and uh, uh, me and my oldest brother, Kerry Bell Jr., right. were down there, and he came down there, and he picked us up and brought us back to Chicago. Okay. In his car, he had. A, I remember he had a carried it. Carry, yeah. My father yep. he had a he had a uh, Chrysler Imperial right car. <laughs> you know, like man, I felt pretty good about that. I'm going back to Chicago. Wow. wow. So, blues hit big town. Yeah, yeah. So I started when I get when I got to Chicago, I automatically started playing with with a band. You know who was the leader of that band? No, Lovey Lee. Okay, so tell us, <laughs> tell us about Lovey Lee. Well, Lovey Lee, you know, was a, you know, I, I, I kind of liked that Lovey because he was a nice guy. You know, he treated me with respect. He was nice to me, you know, and he tried to show me what the blues was when it comes down to boogie-woogie piano. Right, he was a real boogie woogie piano yeah. um, uh, master. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, his relationship with your dad? Uh, to my understanding, uh, my dad ran away from home when he was fourteen years old. Okay, from uh, Macon, Mississippi. Right. He teamed up with Lovey, who was much older than him. Lovey Lee was much older with yeah. him, and. I guess Lovey took my dad on his shoulder and, you know, uh, treated him like he was his son. Like his his son, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say Lovey Lee was like my grandfather. No, you, know? you, you always called him your granddad. Yeah. 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 And so they went to Chicago together? Yeah. He, Lovey brought Carrie up to yeah. Chicago. Yeah. Uh, and they played together for years. Yeah. Yeah. And because uh, Lovey was one of the first people to give me work when I came down to Chicago, I got to play with him. And in fact, me and you um, rehearsed at his house several times. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to go into that story. <laughs> but um, yeah. but we did go do a. We went and played a riverboat gig in Davenport, and um, and I remember him. Uh, being uh, so uh, supportive of yeah. me. He was a really beautiful person. Oh, uh, yeah, man. And- Lovely was, I, I, I don't know, man. This is just something about Lovely. I don't know what it was, but he was one of the nicest, kindest guys that He's you ever were. Such a kind person, yeah. And what was beautiful was that towards the end of his life, after Pine Top split Muddy's band, Muddy Waters man and went to form the legendary blues band with the other guys. When Muddy put together his next band and which was to be his last band, mm-hmm. um, Lovey Lee was the piano player. Lovey Lee played with with Muddy until Muddy died. Yeah, yeah. Lovey and yeah. John Primer. 
John Primer. Yeah. 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 Mojo Buford, I believe. Mojo Buford on heart. Yeah. 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 So you got to Chicago and Lovey extended the same uh, generosity to you as he had to your dad. Gave you work. Lovey treated me like he was like I was his grandson. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And now. I don't know. People around the uh, blues world and the community know me as Lovey's grandson. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but anyway. Lovey treated me that way like I was. He certainly did. His grandson. Yeah. yeah you know. Yeah. He was nice to me and he he, he he taught me different songs, you know. I would I would if I you know, we would rehearse all the time at Lovey Lee's house when he was living on the south side. Yeah. You know? In that basement. In the basement. Yeah. Yeah. With those steep ass stairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet something fell down upstairs. Yeah, that's that's yeah. kind of what the inside story here. It's not fair to have inside <laughs> stories when you're doing an interview. So um, uh, Lurie tripped and fell down those really steep stairs with, with an amplifier. It was really heavy, and it was uh, a precarious moment. And, and, <laughs> and I, you know, I thought, man, you hit the bottom of the stairs, your neck snapped back, and I was like, oh, my God. And um, But you got up. And you you hurt your hand a little bit, but you were fine. I got up and walked it off. It wasn't that, you know, things happened. That amplifier didn't fire up after that, though. Yeah. 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 Do you know know, that amplifier sat in my closet for four or five years after that? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I never... And do you know that the only thing that was wrong with that was that there was just a loose... When it fell down the stairs, there's just a loose connection on the cord that plugged the speaker into the amplifier. And so it was like a $5 fix. And, <laughs> and I fixed it, and I had a brand new amplifier. It was a, it was a Fender... Uh, um, Something called a Fender 60. It was it was this little small super heavy amplifier that was really powerful. It had 60 watts, and, mm-hmm. it, and it was a great amplifier, man. I used it for years after that. So you did, yeah. That amp, yeah. That amp. <laughs> and and then we went to Davenport and we played that gig, and your your finger was cut, so you were bleeding all over your guitar. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. But you played great, as you always have, man. And um, so just for all the guitar players out there, I know if I don't ask this question, they're going to be like, hmm. Uh, But um, who were the biggest influences on you in terms of your listening? The best artist, blues guitar player that I ever heard in my life that inspired me the most out of blues guitar players, Mr. Eddie Taylor. Eddie Taylor. Mm Wow. Wow. And you got to know him too. Yeah. And um He was Eddie, Eddie Taylor was like damn family, man. Mm-hmm. I mean he 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 knew my you know, he 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 knew my whole family. You know? mm-hmm. Eddie, you know. And you knew his family too. Yeah, I knew Eddie Taylor's family. His his whole his whole family was something special. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, I learned a lot from him, too. And and did you learn um, that from watching him, or did you actually sit down with him? I know I've asked you this. I before. learned that from watching it. From watching him. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, I know that as a harp player, um, and we're pretty close in age, you're maybe four years older than I am, I sat with records, you know, and I, I picked that arm up, and I put it back and pick it up and put it back and pick it up and put it back and, and, and listen to now with your ear, I bet you didn't have to do it that many times, but did you learn, uh, uh, did you learn that way? Yeah. Yeah. Same way. Same way. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but we used to live on, uh, 6249 South Elizabeth. I remember very well. And upstairs, my mm-hmm. dad would have albums and, and what have you. And I would get, matter of fact, the artist that caught my ear the most was Alva King. My dad had Alva King albums. Mm -hmm. And I would put on the Alva King album, and I would put put the needle on on the uh, phonograph and learn a solo by Alva. If I didn't catch it, I would listen to it. I said, I missed something. I would try it again until I learned how to play. 12-bar blues identical 
like Albert King. It took me a while, mm-hmm. but I picked it up, mm-hmm. you know, and I learned how to, uh, 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 which I was proud of because to learn how to play, because Albert King was a bad cat, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and massively influential in Chicago blues music and in, in, in all blues music. He was lefty. He was a left-handed player. He was left-handed. Yeah, and so he's bending the string in a different way than you are. Did you uh, sort of modify your playing to try and get that sound? Yeah. Yeah? yeah, yeah. What did you do? I knew he was left-handed, right. you know, but when I say, you know, the music was so soulful, you know, I, I just locked my ear the best way I could, and I picked up, you know, his licks, you know. Oh, you got him. I good. had to take that, that needle off for a few times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. And so I remember that room on Elizabeth Street. I went, when we and you first um, started really hanging out, I came down from Milwaukee where I was living. Remember, we had met at a bar at Hooligans Hooligans. in 1982. And you were playing there with Lovey Lee Uh and Carrie. And Carrie. You know what? One thing (laughs) I remember about that thing (laughs) was uh, I had. I think that was an Ampeg amp, an Ampeg amp that I had that I was playing through, mm-hmm. an Ampeg, which I liked it. Mm-hmm. But the thing about that, it it broke down mm-hmm. that night, mm-hmm. and you and your brother was sitting in the audience, and you came up and introduced yourself to me, and you said, "Your amp went out. I'm going home and get my amp. I bring you amp. You did that favor for me. I never forget it. That that was at Hooligans. Yeah, when I first. You know, met you. <laughs> you know, you told me that 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 you went to try and mess with the back of the ampeg, and a whole bunch of roaches came oh, running. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they, they went in there, and yeah. screwed up the amplifier. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, yeah. I had a 1962 Blonde Fender concert that I I had. Um, just gotten with the first amplifier I ever had in my life. And I just started playing harmonica maybe two or three years before that. And, um, yeah, three years before that, I had a few chops. You asked your, your father if I could sit in with y'all. Yeah. And, and um, yeah. that was really un, quite an experience. Yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. he kicked off a shuffle that was like a freight train, man. Who, Karen? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, super yeah. fast shuffle to see what the boy could do. Yeah. You know? <laughs> He had a long cord. He was walking the floor. The old man. <laughs> and he said, there was, there's a boy in the house say he can blow hard. <laughs> well, we'll give anybody a chance once. <laughs> and um, so he came up, and um, and I was really nervous, man. And he handed me the microphone, and um, he said, you got a harmonica? I said, of course I got a harmonica, man. And so I, um, I started warbling, because that's always the easiest default till you feel the groove, right? You know. And uh and then I hit the groove and uh and the place went up, man. You know, it was like people were like, damn. And he looked at me, his eyes got pretty wide and he he gave me a smile of approval. And after the set, Lovey Lee took my phone number and um he called me the next day. He did. Yeah. He called me the next day and he said, uh um Carrie won't never do you like that again, boy. <laughs> Carrie won't never do you like that again. And I was oh, like, and, and me and Lovey Lee stayed in touch for years. When I moved down to Chicago, he hired, and we did, you know, gigs together. Mm-hmm. And uh, but Love, Love Lee liked you, Matthew. Yeah, yeah. You know, he he he, he liked it, you you're, you're, you're playing on the harp, you know, mm-hmm. and he liked you as a person. I know that. Yeah. For a fact. He was really, really a, a wonderful guy. Your brothers are all hellified players. Now, mm-hmm. I know Carrie Bell Jr., who who passed um, many years ago, mm-hmm. was an excellent bass player. Mm-hmm. But you've got uh, Tyson on bass, bass, James on drums, right, and Steve, Steve on, on harmonica. Man, man, yeah. Steve is blowing his natural born. I ass mean, off. Not, nowadays, you know, I'm I'm kind of, you know. I always knew Steve could blow, but I didn't know he was. Nowadays, he, he really, man. He's, he's killing it. It's coming along. Yeah. 
much every time I hear him now, you know, he blows identical like Kerry if he wants to. If he wants to. But that, 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 that he, he's, he's yeah. something else now, yeah, he my really brother. Is. He is. We're talking about his brother, Steve Bell, who is um, the featured uh, soloist in uh, the legendary John Primer's band, the Real Deal Blues Band. And um, Steve is, um, you know, one of the, the really great harmonica players out here right now. And, um, and so you did a family band thing. I know that back in 1988, you guys did a record for uh, JSP Records. Yeah. That was called Dynasty, right? Yeah, yeah. What's it like playing with, with family? Well, I think it's, 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 it's very special, man, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, to be able to, to, to play, I mean, you know, Tyson, James, and Steve, you know, we, we we had different mothers, mm-hmm. you know, but you know to know that I had a whole different side of my family that's musicians was an honor to be able to work with my brothers, you know. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, if you know we work together, you know, it would be. I think my father would be proud of that. Yeah, you know, and yeah. I love my dad, man. You no, know, my dad was a bad cat, man. Yep. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and 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 to be able to play and have a band with my brothers, that was a gift, man, a, a blessing. You know, to be able to to work and and, and and play together, it brought us closer, man, as a family. As a family, oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. yeah. Because we, you know, we had the same father, but we had different mothers, you know. So tell me about your, your mother, Sally. Was she um, a musician? Was she... She wasn't a musician. Okay. She went... I mean... But she loved the music. When it comes down to a fan now, she was a hell of a fan. So she, so she loved she, the blues. Yeah, yeah. She Because she, yeah. when... Uh, to my understanding, when, when my dad and, uh, and mother met, you know... My dad was working with Lovely Lee at a club, and she mm-hmm. came to the club. Mm-hmm. She just a blues fan. She wanted mm-hmm. to hear what Lovely Lee was putting down, and she ran across Carrie, and they hit it off. <laughs> wow, that's great. Rest is history. Mm-hmm. And so she was very supportive of your playing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've seen yeah. her at your gigs and stuff. So you know, she obviously came out and supported you. Yeah. And um, that's that's wonderful. So you're back in Chicago. You're playing with your granddad, Lovey Lee. You are getting more and more proficient on the guitar. And the term hellfire comes <laughs> comes to mind um, because you were so energetic and incendiary back then. And, you know, I I first got to see you, I think it was 80, 1980 in Madison, Wisconsin, um, and you were opening up for Carrie. But I know that before we get to 1980, um, there were some very key things that happened in your career. You, you played with Lovey, and then who did you go to next? Who did you end up playing with? Uh, wow. Let me see. Must have been Coco. Coco Taylor. How did you get that gig? I was hanging out. On the south side at Teresa's Lounge, which was uh, Junior Wells Club. I don't know if you know that. It was Teresa's Club. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But Junior, Junior. Junior was the main main cat down there, you know. And I used to hang out down there, and I used to sit in a lot at Junior. Junior Wells, he didn't mind calling me up to let me play. I bet he didn't. You know. So the thing about that. Coco's husband, Pops Taylor, mm-hmm. was there one night, mm-hmm. came down to Teresa's, and I was down there, and I was sitting in, mm-hmm. and I was playing. And when I got through, he walked up to me, Pops Taylor, and asked me, did I want to work with his band? Wow. Yeah. If you want to work with me, I'll pay you. Mm-hmm. I said, sure. You know, because at that time, I wasn't working with no one. I was just jamming and sitting in a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I got to working with, with Coco, you know, and we toured all over 
everywhere, man. We toured. Where'd you go? We went all over the United States. Mm -hmm. We went to uh, Europe together. Oh, wow. So it was your first overseas experience. Yeah. We also went to uh, Africa, I think. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Amazing experience. And you're how old at that point? 25. Maybe something like that. No, I think you were younger. <laughs> Might have been younger. You were twenty and seventy-eight, so I think you were probably eighteen. You know, eighteen. Then I first started working with Coco. Could have been. Yeah, it might have been because then you went on to work with Billy, with Billy Branch yeah. and the Sons of and Sons of Blues. After that, yeah. after that, yeah, that was nineteen seventy-seven. Right. You must have been with Coco in seventy-four, seventy-five. How long were you with him? About a year or longer. Oh, I was with Coco for a good while, man. Maybe two, three years. Okay, so you're talking at least 74. You were 16 or 17. Yeah, yeah. 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 You were really young, man. Yeah, yeah. I can't can't recollect on the years back then. No, but we can piece it together. We can piece it together. Something like that, though. You're right. Yeah, so you were 16 or 17 years old touring around the world with, with... the woman who's considered the queen of the blues. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. uh, wow. I think, and, I think I was, my job was to play second in rhythm guitar and open up and sing my set for Coco. Mm-hmm. But the lead guitar player back then was Johnny B. Moore. Wow. I was playing rhythm mm-hmm. with the band, wow. second guitar. But she let me open up and do my own songs. Right. Back right. then. Back then, yeah. Which I thought was cool. You know, the queen of the blues, hey, she, she she liked me that much. She let me do my thing on, on her show. Right. And you also um, you also worked with Sonny Lance Slim um, during the American Folk Blues Festival tours. American Folk Blues yeah, Festival. They've been in Raw. Yeah, and that was that. That was later, though. That was yeah. a little bit later. You were about twenty-two or twenty-three years old, right? And I mean, those were so. That was after the Sons of Blues, um, but um, those were um, uh, uh, amazing recordings. And your playing was just just on fire. Okay. Um, and so you're on tour um, at that point um, with Sonny Land Slim, Hubert Sumlin, Odie Payne. Bob Strozier, Louisiana Red was on that tour. Um, you know, I, I mean, that's that's a pretty uh, amazing for such a young. Uh, I'm you know. very proud to be it, with that whole damn, with that project, man. To be able to 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 be uh, in that lineup was something special for me because I think I was the youngest guy out there with you the, were. With, with, the, with that whole. You know, but you were, you were wearing folks out, man. Yeah. <laughs> you were wearing them out already, man. It yeah. was like you can. And there's records of it. You know, you could hear Sonny Lance. He used to call you Larry. Ride, Larry, ride. <laughs> <laughs> I've worn those discs out, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, those are those are great. You did that tour in '77 with Billy um, and the rest of the Sons of Blues, and all of the people involved in that were the children of great blues man except for billy yeah but i think he organized that he did yeah he did yeah. he did because once once when we <clears throat> excuse me when we finished doing that uh that tour you know i think uh it was when we went over there over in europe you know in, in uh 77 jim o'neill was the sponsor he took he was a uh uh Manager, the agent, the right, sponsor right. who who managed the whole thing, he promoted it. It was, yeah. it was a bunch of us, ten different artists, something like that. Okay. And when we got back home to Chicago, uh, I think we went in the studio, and me and Billy talked. We sit down and talked, and we said, "Let's get a band together and call it the Sob Band." Right, Sons, Sons of, of Blues. Blues. Okay. And I thought it was a good idea. Yeah, and then you broke out onto uh, you. You broke off from them, and you actually started playing with your dad. And that brings us up to when I first saw you um, in 1980 in Madison, Wisconsin. And I was just starting to play harmonica, and I knew who Carrie Bell was. 
And so I went to see him, and um, we're, me and Larry are sitting out there. It was a club on State Street, and I uh, can't recall the name of it, but uh, this guy comes out with the band and starts playing guitar and singing. And you, it was you, and it must, it must have been um, three tunes that you did. Mm-hmm. And me and Larry had our, we, our, our mouths were just our jaws were on the floor. I mean, we we had never seen anything like this. And Larry had been playing guitar for years already, and we we had you know all the records, and we had seen Luther Allison, and we'd seen all. But you came out and you tore the roof off of that place mm-hmm. and then you started playing i'm a man buddy and yeah and you started playing i'm a man and you went through a little piece of it and then you broke the band down and you know i'm saying, saying thinking to myself i thought carrie bell was a harmonica player you know and because I, I figured you had to be carrie bell because you were leading the shit you know and um <laughs> And and, um, and so you know I didn't know I was seventeen years old or something you know and um, and so um, you broke the band down and you said now ladies and gentlemen um, I want to introduce to you a real man the man put your hands together for my father Mr Carrie Bell and then Carrie came out and then you all just took off and then I was like oh my god yeah he is a hard player we, we had a tight we had a tight unit back then Matt we had a tight unit back then we it were, was serious yeah yeah I mean you know when it comes down to the field of blues I think we was one of the tightest bands out there back then man mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me, me, the Karen Lurie Bell blues band it, it was, was it was killer yeah and, and so how long did you do that for when I was with Kerry I Seven, eight, nine years, maybe something like that. Yeah, back so to up it. to about eighty-eight, maybe yeah. you know, yeah. eighty-seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you guys played together for quite a, quite a spell. Hey, everybody! That concludes part one of my two-part interview with Lurie Bell. What a great artist and human being! Please join us in two weeks for the next segment as we continue following Lurie's journey through the nineteen nineties, when he starts to navigate through mental illness drug addiction and personal losses, intermittent homelessness, how he was able to turn what for most would be career-ending and potentially life-ending trauma into positive life lessons that made him stronger and informed his work as an artist. Don't miss it. We'll, we'll release it two weeks from today. Blues and World Report is a 100% listener-supported podcast. If I'm going to be able to continue to do interviews like the Lurie Bell interview, I'll need your vital contributions. If you want to support this podcast, please consider going to paypal.me forward slash Chicago W-I-N-D. That's paypal.me forward slash Chicago Wind. And become a supporter. Blues and World Report is produced by yours truly, Matthew Scholar. We'd like to thank Larry Scholar for that beautiful guitar interlude on the outro. Please be safe out there. Wear your mask and get vaxxed. And remember to always believe your eyes.